Okay, today is December the 27th, 2011. Can't stay that much longer, can we? Yeah, one more. How was y'all's Christmas? Thumbs up? Good. All right. See, I knew I was going to get all thumbs up anyway because we're to give thanks in all things, aren't we? <coughs> okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. We can always count on you. We thank you for your mighty word, even for the book of James, and for the opportunity to study it thoroughly so that we can understand what James was saying, so that we can be a light shining in a dark place for those who try to make this portion of Scripture a work-based foundation for salvation. So we pray that you will help us to inculcate this, to remember it, to file it in long-term memory. We'll be able to use it, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you can open your Bibles to James chapter 2. I was reading in one of my research books today, and it was talking about the part of Scripture that we're looking at, James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. And it says, this portion of James is so important, it's life or death. That's what this is about. That's what James is talking about. It's a life or death part of Scripture. And I know that y'all recognize that this isn't talking about that it's salvific. It's talking about for those after they're saved, that God still has a plan for us, and that plan involves learning and growing and applying. And we're seeing that God is very serious about this, and indeed the whole New Testament cries out at us, warning us, that we better produce good works, we better learn how to do so, and then execute the Christian way of life, because aside from that, we can lose our lives. Usually when you tell someone that it's a life or death situation, their ears kind of perk up, don't they? This is nothing less than that. I think we'll read again. I, I, uh, Starting with verse 14. I'm sure by now you're getting tired of James. That's good. Because when you get so tired of James that you can spout scream, by that time it's probably in your long-term memory whether you like it or not. And then you'll be able to recall it when you're in a pinch. Verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says that he has faith but he has no works? Can that... Faith, save him. And what is the answer there? No, a big fat no. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, same thing. Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now, James is talking to people, talking to believers, who thought all that was required of a believer is faith. When it comes to the rest of their life, they can pretty well do what they want to do. 
They don't have to exert themselves. They don't have to commit themselves to anything. And then we start the verse 18, the straw man conversation. This is James making the argument for the believers who were, I guess you could say, lazy. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And, instead of and there, I think really what would fit more properly would be then. If you can do that, then I will show you my faith by my works. All he's doing here is setting up a proposition that there's no connection between faith and works. He's making their argument for them. This is what they would say. Verse 19. This is still the objector, the straw man speaking. You believe that God is one. You believe in monotheism. You do well because that's true. There is one God. The demons also believe and shudder. All that he's doing here is trying to show that faith in the same thing can produce different results which they think, or James is making this for them, they would think they made their case. How can there be a connection when you can have faith in the same thing and have different results? And you can't show me your faith without works, nor can I show you my faith with works. So there's no connection. That's all that's being said here. When it gets to the demons believe and shudder, <coughs> what's the first thing you do when somebody uses that? They're trying to allege that you need more than just faith for salvation. What's the first thing you do? You ask them, what are you talking about? Or, that doesn't make any sense. Well, can you elaborate? Can you be a little more specific what you mean by that? And what if they're struggling and they can't hardly explain? Are you going to help them out? I don't think you should, but, I, you know, James did. <laughs> Maybe we ought to make the case for him because James just did. I was thinking, no, let them just sputter and stumble a bit. But if you want to make the case for them, you can. <laughs> if you make the case, then you ought to be able to call him a foolish fellow. <laughs> but it's got to be done with gentleness and love. Verse 20. <coughs> now we have, <coughs> excuse me, we have James responding to this. And he says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? <coughs> now, most people are going to point to that verse and try to allege that this is when he was saved. This is, at least this is how you could know that he is saved because he's producing a good work. When I'm talking about saved eternally. None of this has anything to do with that as we already noted. You see that faith was working with his works and with a, the result of his works, faith was perfected. It was completed. There's a, an inherent potential. Every time someone believes in Jesus Christ for that faith that they have at the, at the very origin when they accept the gospel to eventually be manifested to the point to where they could be called completed, mature, maybe even a friend of God. That is only a potential, but it is a potential for everyone. Verse 23 in the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham received, excuse me, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, we went over this in detail. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. 
God imputed righteousness to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Because that's where it gives the Abrahamic covenant. In that part of the covenant, it says that from, you, from your line, from your seed, the entire world is going to be blessed. What does that speak of? The Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say it in the other two places, but he did in Genesis 12, which is when he came to him originally. So it appears that that is when God imputed righteousness to him. When he believed that promise, which included the Lord Jesus Christ coming through him and being a blessing to the entire world. We know that he wasn't justified before God and received God's righteousness because of a work that he did. That certainly did not happen. <clears throat> Verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh, we went over this last time, and I want you to see it again. I don't like the way it's translated because it really doesn't communicate what the meaning is here. There it is. Okay. <clears throat> In the New American Standard Version, it says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Something that is missing here that you don't understand, that if you look at theological journals and you look at the theologians, they will tell you that there is a justified that is understood but not stated in this verse. In other, in other words, it would be, you see that a man is justified by works and not justified by faith alone. That's the understanding. And what do you have there? Two, well, no, you have two justifications. You have justified by works and justified by faith. It's understood. It, 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 it's, I guess it's good grammar. They didn't want to be redundant. If we were saying this in English, we would probably say it the same way. You see that a man is justified by works and not, we wouldn't probably use justified again, and not justified by faith alone. But when we read this... <coughs> It gives the impression that we, a person can, is justified by works and not by faith alone, meaning that works has to be added to the faith, especially when you have faith alone. And we already looked at this, this alone, which is monon, M-O-N-O-N, in the Greek, modifies justified, not faith. So... <coughs> It, the expanded translation down here is the way that I wish it was translated this way because then we, it would be easier for anyone to understand. You see that a man is not justified only by faith, but he is also justified by works. That's what James is saying there. And it's easy to see there that there's what? Two justifications. There is a justification by grace and there's also a justification by works. Doesn't that make sense to what James was telling the <coughs> believers? Because all they were concerned with, well, we have justified by grace. That's all we need. We don't have to do anything else. And James is saying, no, there's two types. You're failing in the second justification. You're not being justified by works. And there's a penalty for that. It is the ultimate penalty, nearly the ultimate. I guess the ultimate would be the, the lake of fire. But next to that would be loss of life. And he's warning them. You keep on the track your own, and God will take you out prematurely. That will be your discipline. The King James says, Ye see that now, then now, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only do y'all see how that presupposes it kind of gives you the idea when you hear faith only and then they look over to the works and say okay they're saying you got to be you're not only justified by faith you got to add the works to it but what he's actually saying is that justification by faith and justification by works you need both the point of this is that it does not say that a man is justified by faith plus works 
James is saying that there are two kinds of justification. Keep that in mind from the very get-go and you won't get into trouble. <coughs> We've already gone over this part. James 25. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, isn't it great that we are familiar with this? <coughs> it wasn't that long ago that we were studying Rahab in detail. Rahab's faith in the Israelite God motivated her to receive the Israelite spies and protect them from the king's soldiers. She did this after she had already been saved. She had already had eternal life and God's righteousness imputed to her when she did this. She didn't have to do that in order to be eternally saved. She was already saved. This certainly does not say that Rahab was justified by play, uh, faith plus her works. That's not what it says. No doubt James chose Rahab as an example because she is a perfect example of a person whose physical life was saved precisely because she had good works. Rahab is mentioned in the Hebrews chapter of Hebrews, which is Hebrews chapter 11. Let's speculate. What if uh, Rahab had believed in God, believed in the God of Israel, which she did, you, could, you might say, well, doesn't she have to believe in Jesus Christ? At that time, Jesus Christ had not been named. There was the potential of a Messiah. There was a promise of a Messiah. But he hadn't, hadn't, wasn't revealed yet who his name was going to be. And that's another whole subject. I don't want to get into it right now. But Revelation is progressive. And what we know now when we give the gospel is much more specific than what they had in the Old Testament. Evidently, all that Rahab needed to know was that the information that she received about God delivering the Israelites from Egypt and all the miracles that took place there and what he had done since then, word got to her, and she believed that. And that was enough for her to be eternally saved. But if she had refused to uh, hide the spies, if she would, had given up the spies, could she be considered a friend of God? Do you think she would be in Hebrews 11, the heroes chapter? I think not. She would have been justified by faith, but she would not have been justified by works. That's what the Hebrews chapter of 11 is all about. It mentions Abraham. It mentions Rahab. And it's, it's, it's showing, it's giving a list of people who were justified by grace, but they were also justified by their works. One thing about Rahab that <clears throat> I think is also telling is that when you live your life to where that inherent potential of faith in Jesus Christ from the beginning, when it is developed and manifested and eventually it becomes completed or finished, it's, it's then that you are a, you are a metakoi. Remember we were looking at these? You're a metakoi. You're a nikon. You're a victor. Uh, you're a huios. Remember that? You're a friend of God. But when you reach that point, something else that we saw about Rahab that I didn't mention before is that God blesses you so greatly that it spills over to others. I don't, I don't think that necessarily happens when you're justified by faith, but when you're justified by works, it surely happens. Because that she put her life on the line and she hid the spies, that was a work. Then not only was she blessed to the extent that she was in the line of Christ and mentioned in Matthew, all her family was blessed as well. Remember? When she asked the, the spies not only to uh, protect her and save her from the calamity that was going to fall on the city, on Jericho, what did she say? My family as well. And did that happen? Absolutely. The, 
as far as I can tell, I don't see the Scripture saying that they believed also. Maybe they did and maybe they didn't. But it really doesn't matter because when God starts blessing a mature believer, when He starts blessing a metakoi, there's so much blessings that it spills out to, it can spill out to a family, it can spill out to a community, a city, a county, a state, a nation. That's how much blessing that God has to pour for those who get it and they understand that they have the opportunity, the potential to be justified by works. They understand what's at stake. They understand what is the potential rewards. And it's a wonderful thing to see God in action in that way. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31 says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. That saving the spies is the work that put her over the top there. How long had... How long do you think it was that from the time that Rahab believed in the God of Israel that the spies came across? We don't know. But it could have been a short time. could have been just a month, a week, a few days. We don't know. It doesn't matter. The time frame here doesn't matter. The fact is that she, she launched out on what she knew. The thing that she knew, she took action, and that's what made the difference. Both James and the writer of Hebrews emphasizes Rahab's works. The writer of Hebrews, she welcomed the spies in peace. In James, she received the messengers and sent them out another way. <clears throat> she put her life on the line by protecting the spies. In so doing, she proved that she was a friend of God because she was a friend to God's servants. She had an active faith, active living faith, which triumphed over the sinful inclinations of her past. She and her family were alive after Jericho fell because her faith was alive. It produced work. And this challenges every one of us, does it not, to look at our own lives? Are we producing work, divine good, based on the doctrine that we've learned? Because this is what we're, we've talked about before. The good work isn't gritting your teeth and trying to outdo someone else and doing good. There's a lot of professional do-gooders out there, and they do a lot of good, but it, it credits to nothing because they may be an unbeliever. It's only the doctrine that you have learned and applied that makes the difference. Are you all ready for the last verse? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. A lot of people just cut to the chase, so to speak. They'll go to this last verse and try to apply it to the gospel, which it simply does not fit. <clears throat> For just as the body without the spirit is dead, what is it that you can tell for certain when you... When you see a corpse, <clears throat> we're probably all old enough to where we've seen a number of corpses. When you see a dead body, what is it that you can know unequivocally, absolutely for sure? What is it that you can know? Okay, it's dead. What else? There's nobody there. What else? There's no life. I'm going to have to tell you. No spirit or soul. No, no work. It's useless. That's all good, but it's not what I'm fishing for. You can know unequivocally there was a point in time that it was alive, can't you? Huh? When you see a corpse, you don't think, well, that corpse has always been dead. I mean, at one time it was alive, but now it's dead. Because there are some people who allege that there's no person that can do good. Because they look at spiritual death as um, that you don't even have the opportunity to do good. You can know it was alive. Same goes for these 
believers that James is talking to. Same goes for any believer that is a deadbeat, lazy, don't care, don't give a damn attitude believer. You can know for sure at one time they had a living faith. Can't you? When did they have a living faith? When they believed in Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a living faith that they have. And what's so unfortunate is that there are so many people who have a living faith. It's active. It, it, it is able to accept the gospel. But after that, if it's not nourished, if you take a, a little baby, a little infant, and you set it aside and you never feed it, you never pay any attention to it, what's going to happen? It eventually will die, won't it? And that's what to, happens to a lot of these people who have believed the gospel, but they were never nourished. They never knew that there was anything more. And then you have the sharks come in and tell them lies that now that you believed in Christ, you also have to be baptized. You also have to be a member of a certain church. You also have to continue to be obedient. And what happens to that act of faith then? It dies in the sense that it's trusting God anymore, isn't it? They start trusting in their works. And so <clears throat> you know for sure that these believers at one time had an active faith. That's why, by the way, if you ever know someone that is a new baby believer, you need to get booklets, uh, get them on the computer, get them, get them that information. Uh, a lot of people here know about animals. When an animal is born... The first thing they need is that colostrum, that really rich milk that comes from the mother. That helps them get, get uh, jump-started there. That's, they, they have to have that. And a, a baby believer is the same way. Because that faith is active then. It's, they're open then more than any other time that they might be. So faith, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. There is a comparison there. A dead body is just as dead as it can be. It doesn't have a spirit. Well, a faith is just as dead as a dead body without spirit if it does not have what? What? Works. It's all about works in this case. Just as the human body, soul, spirit keeps the human body alive, the spiritual momentum that produces good works is what keeps the faith alive. It's not the works itself that keeps the faith alive. It is the momentum, the desire, the spudazzo that goes in to produce those works that keeps you moving forward and keeps your, your faith alive. This is an ongoing faith. We're not talking about the aorist tense faith that happens at eternal salvation. And let me ask you this. I said it's got to have a continuing momentum to produce good works. Where does that momentum come from? From what you're doing right now. If anyone came to me and said, well, you know, I can keep that momentum going without, without studying the Word. Well, I was in the Word for 20 years. I, I've got it down. I know what to do. How's that work for you? You've got to keep that spiritual nourishment coming in for that desire to be active and desirous of good works so that you can keep that faith alive. Otherwise, you're walking around alive physically, but spiritually you're as dead as a doornail. You're spiritually alive with regards you have a human spirit, but you're acting like you're spiritually dead. That would be the application. So we have to continue to feed, feed our soul with spiritual nourishment and learn. You know one thing about it? The, more, the older I get, and I'm older just like you are, and I, I look back and I think, why did it take me so long to catch on to these things? I mean, I wish I'd have known these things back when I was a teenager. And teenagers have the opportunity to know know these things now. But even as I see that, I think, 
there's no way that I can exhaust the realm of doctrine that is in God's Word. You could study it 24-7 for the rest of your life and you would never hardly even scratch the surface of what's there. Because when you start looking at it, uh, you can ask Carrie. Greg and I are at home and all we do is like this. We'll go to any scripture. It doesn't matter where. And when you start really looking at it and applying all the systematic theology and all the doctrines that, that are connected to that, you can take any place in the Bible. And before you know it, you've spent, well, we spent hours going at it. I'm not talking about debating. We do that sometimes. But usually we're just reasoning together. And, and it's, it's so exhaustive. You can't. By the, and by, well, here's the thing. By the time you've, you've got a, a couple of doctrines down, like we're trying to get James down here, by now you ought to say, okay, I've got it. All right. Now what? Are you going to remember it? That's one doctrine. If you, if you divorce yourself from it, if we never talk about it again, if you never think about it again, what's going to happen a year from now when a Jehovah Witness knocks at your door and you say, hey, well, salvation is faith alone by Christ alone. Yeah, but faith without works is dead. If your faith has been stagnant, if it's stagnated and you haven't thought about this, what good is it what we're doing right now? It's useless, worthless. That's why we have to keep it cranking all the time. Keep that mind thinking about these things and filling it for, uh, full of more and more doctrine. So, just as the human spirit, the soul, uh, and soul, the body is, is alive when it has that, the spiritual momentum that produces good works is what keeps the faith alive. It's not the works. It's the momentum that drives that faith, that produces it. No one can see the human spirit, but we know that it is there because why? The body is alive. I probably should have put there, instead of just human spirit, the soul. You can, you can tell if, the soul, if, a, if a soul is there, whether it's believer or unbeliever, if the soul is there. But with a belie- even a believer, a deadbeat, no, no good for nothing believer, you still, if he's alive, you can still know what? You still, the, the spirit's still there, you know, because the body's there. No one can see the spiritual momentum, but we know it is there because of what? The good works it produces. I can't see your momentum. I can't see your faith. But I can see the, the works that it produces. And if you don't have the works, what do you not have? You don't have the momentum. If you don't have the momentum, it's probably because you're not getting the doctrine. Or else you're sporadically getting and you can't get enough doctrine to connect the dots. The human body is visible and so are good works. Both depend on a spirit. Both the human body as well as good works. It depends on a spirit, a motivation in the spirit. Since the production of good works depends on one's spiritual momentum, the question is, what does spiritual momentum depend on? Well, I already covered this. It depends on positive volition towards God and His Word. No one can see positive volition, but you can see its result. A believer who doesn't miss a chance to take in Bible doctrine. When they're doing that, you ought to know that from your, from your own life. When you're consistently taking in and you're thinking in the spiritual realm, that's moving you forward. And you're thinking in the spiritual realm even as you go out and you apply things in your daily life. Okay, well, I still have time to do something here now that I want to do. By the way, that's the end of my notes in James, but it's not the end of James. Not yet. Okay, I'm going to try to pull it all together now from what we have been studying. And if you're going to take notes, this is the time to do it because I have eight points that are things to remember with regards to James chapter 2. The first one is James was writing to believers. He called them brethren over and over again. In James chapter 4 verse 5, it says that they are called and they have God's Spirit. James is writing to believers. 
if he's writing to believers, why would he be writing them at this late date telling them that they need to add works to their faith in order to be eternally saved if, he, if they're already believers? That doesn't make much sense, does it? Number two, nothing here about eternal salvation. Nothing, not a zip. It's all experiential. Of course, this is what you would expect when he's writing to believers who were do-nothing, hearers of the word, and not doers of the word. Nothing in this whole section, nothing in the book of James, except maybe uh, isolated uh, scripture may in, a, in, a, uh, in one way refer to it. Yes? No, they knew better also. They were on their defensive. They knew that James was getting on their case because they had no works. They knew that he was never bringing that into question. When you go to Corinthians or Galatians where you have Paul, he is reaming out these believers, but their eternal security is never called in question. Probably. That's where James was. Number three, James and Paul are in agreement. They are not talking about the same thing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is salvific. James chapter 2, verse 24. <clears throat> you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only, the English here, the regular. They're not talking about this thing. They're talking, talking about, Paul is talking about grace justification. James is talking about works justification. There is no contradiction. Now, why is this important? Because we've already went over the fact that when you are talking to someone about this and and they're alleging that this is that you have to have works to be eternally saved, and you scratch your head and you're confused, and you go Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where it says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. We've got a problem here. What's the thing? You're pointing this out. Chances of them being able to resolve that is zero because they're making the wrong application. They think that it's faith plus works. It's not that. Man is not justified by faith plus works. He's justified by faith before God. He's justified by works before man. Two different types of justification. They probably never even heard of that concept. Four, it's not about being justified before God by faith plus works. No way, no how, nowhere in the Bible is that ever the case, ever. There's a lot about believers being justified before men by works. Experiential justification is all over the New Testament. But where people get off is they try to make it salvific. And it's not. This is where you don't budge. You don't retreat a scintilla from that. Number five, there are two kinds of justification. Justification before God by faith. Justification before man by works. Now, the only way you can be justified before man by works is God being involved. Obviously, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to have the filling of the Holy Spirit to understand the doctrine, to learn the doctrine, and then motivated by the Spirit to produce the good works. Two kinds of justification. I bet if you ever get the chance to tell this to somebody and you say that James... And Paul are talking about two different things because there's two types of justification. They're probably going to say, Huh? What are you talking about? Number six, no link between faith and works at salvation, but there is a link between faith and works after salvation. What does works have to do with eternal salvation? Nothing. What does works have to do with being 
saved from a premature death because you are being experientially sanctified? What does works have to do with that? Everything. One is at salvation, the other is after salvation. <clears throat> Number seven. Lazy believers denied this link. Straw man illustrated faith in the same thing that can produce... Uh, he, he illustrated faith in the same thing can produce different results. Remember when he made the... the we, you believe in God, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. What he's doing is making the case here that to do what their excuse was that there's no connection between faith and works after salvation is that you can have faith in the same thing and it produces different results. Were they right, by the way? Of course, it was James right in making this case. Can you have faith in the same thing and it produce different results? Absolutely. But you can't take that and try to imply that that means that you have to have faith plus works at salvation. It's apples and oranges. What? You tell them very little. You ask them a lot. When they say that the demons shudder, what they're alleging is, which you need to articulate, for, articulate it for them if they can't, that because the demons had faith, they had a belief, and all it did for them is have them shudder. In other words, they're still going to the lake of fire. And they try to make that leap and say, see, because they shudder and they have faith, you need something other than faith. You need to add works to it. That's what they're alleging. And all you have to do to point to is, is what did they have faith in? Well, what they had faith in is that God is one. No one was ever saved because they believed in monotheism. It wasn't even the issue. Then they'll give you the, the chance to say, to help them illustrate that they are alleging that there's no connection between faith and works. And James is making the case that there is. And, of course, the case is that uh, what, what makes the link between faith and works is in the experiential realm. You cannot mix that with the eternal realm of the gospel or else you have, you've gone off course, you're in the ditch. There are two justifications there. And it's the second justification of works that links faith and works together. And here's number eight. This is the last one. Oop. I had a number eight. What happened to my number eight? I go down, and here's my next thing. I got another pen drive. I'll try it. Y'all meditate a minute. Meditate on James, I mean. Think of a question because we've got a few minutes left and this is the time to ask it if you've got one. Aha, uh -huh. there it is. I didn't have enough space. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll show it to you what I'm looking at, okay? See, I've not seen all yet. I'll show you what I'm looking at. That's why you didn't see it on the other one. See it down there? 
Come here, see? Okay. James proved them wrong with Abraham and Rahab. This is the illustration that he used of two believers who had already been saved salvifically, had already been justified before God by their faith, and now these illustrations are how they were justified before men because of their works. So when you, when you, when you have the opportunity to go here, the first thing you want to do is make sure that they know that you're talking, that he was talking about believers. And they will challenge you on that. When you say, yeah, but he says that calls them brethren. Well, they're going to say that's just brethren because they were fellow Jews. But when you go to Romans chapter, Romans, <laughs> to James chapter 4 verse 5, you know why I remember I said Romans? That's how I remember this because remember our memory verse, Romans 4 5? The proof that they were believers is in James 4 5. And it says that they had this God's Spirit and He'd called them and so forth. So they are believers. And then you want to make sure that they understand there is a difference between James and Paul. They're not talking about the same thing. James is not taking what Paul said and adding works to it. That would be contradictory. They're talking about two separate justifications. One by faith before God, one by fire before men by works. Yes. Well, y'all know the top. If you know the top and bottom circle, if that helps you, that's that's one way to do it. You can, you know, the top circle is what happens, what God does for us at the point of salvation, and that is salvific. You know, we could just put a little arrow over here. This is Paul. When Paul doesn't always talk about that, but in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and Romans 4, 5, all these verses that he has in Titus 3, 5, all these, he is talking about a salvific thing. And when you get down to the bottom circle, which is experiential, that's the arena, that's the area where uh, James is speaking. If you can keep that, James is talking about works experientially, Paul is talking about faith positionally. So there you have it. These are keys. See, we need to go into this with a strategy. So many believers think, well, you know, uh, I'll go into it and the Lord will guide me. The Lord will give me what I need to know. Well, you certainly need to pray. You need to have, have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you go into these conversations, when you go into it with a Jehovah Witness, they have been trained to twist and to beguile and to uh, obfuscate the truth. And so you have to be, have a strategy that's going to cut through that whole thing. And when you explain, when they are making a case that you have to add faith to works, when you go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which every one of you should have memorized by now, or you go to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, both of them say it's a gift, then, then they're undone. They have nowhere to go. We either have a collision course between James and, and Paul, and the Bible can be discredited because it's being, being contradictory, or else maybe for the first time they will see that they're not even talking about the same thing. And they were confused, taking something, an issue, in an area that Paul was talking about and trying to wedge it over here into James, which you cannot do. Two separate justifications. And absolutely, the, the, the questions in verse 14, can that faith save you? No, it can't save you. It's dead. But it has nothing to do with eternal salvation. Now, I've given it my best shot, and I don't know when I'll go through this again. Yes, Michael? Do I need to? Here. Okay. Make it quick.
Well, the one thing that we all have to be aware of is that someone doesn't get the opinion that they can manifest works on their own. I mean, we cannot leave Christ out of it at any time. We can't leave the Holy Spirit out of it at any time. And we have to have, we have to have the knowledge of the Word to know which direction to go to begin with. If we don't know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's nothing but dead works anyhow. It may look living, but it's not. It's dead because it's produced with the wrong motivation. So uh, anyhow, I don't know. Maybe I'll come back to this next time a little bit or just press on. But uh, this, this is a strategy that you can have. If you can just remember a few of these points. Two justifications written to believers. No contradiction between Paul and James. Paul top circle, James bottom circle. And if a person starts getting that in their mind, then maybe a light will come on for the first time. Otherwise, they are in a dilemma because you're going to point out Paul and James are on a collision course. They're contradicting each other if they're talking about the same thing, which they are not. Paul is talking about eternal salvation. James is talking about experiential sanctification. Okay, we'll pick this up next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to spend in the book of James. It's a life or death situation for every believer. We pray that we will be the watchmen on the wall in our own lives, but we will be quick to help others see that getting to heaven by the skin of your teeth is not a pleasant experience here on earth and it's going to be lacking so much even for all eternity. We pray that we will continue to keep our spiritual momentum going forth to produce these works from the intake of your word and exploiting your grace. So we pray that you will help us do that for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. No.